It's time to swing into the golf world of today. I don't think I've had this much fun on a golf show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart, sponsored by TaylorMade. Terrific voice, and you have enthusiasm. Now your host, the director of fun. Give me that guy all day, he's the best. Keith Stewart. Good afternoon, and welcome to The Pro Show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. Thank you for tuning in to ESPN 920. It's a big week for those women of the LPGA as they get their season started in Orlando. The men move back to the mainland and play in Palm Springs. We have a Hall of Fame guest with us. Just another routine week here on Golf's Most Entertaining Hour. Can't stop us on this incredible ride. Wade, if you would, the Chili Peppers, please. It's another fabulous Friday afternoon, and we're here live in the studio at ESPN 920 doing our thing, trying to keep New York, Philly warm, because it's been cold. Just just too cold. Too cold. But you know what's going to warm up the mic this afternoon is that we have a Hall of Fame guest. It's not every day that we get a Hall of Fame guest. Fair point. um, This man is much like uh, the afternoon that we had Gary Player a couple of years ago. And we spoke to him. Tony Jacklin is a two-time major winner, and he is best known for playing in seven Ryder Cups, and he captained four of them. But he was the captain for the European side that helped them finally win after about a 30-year drought. And he wrote a book, and it's called Tony Jacklin, uh, My Ryder Cup Journey. And, you know, Amazon, all those places you can find it. So his publicist reached out to me and knows about the show and wanted to talk about Tony's book and and Tony was all fired up to do this. So this afternoon we're going to have some fun, my friend. I like that. We yeah. Like fun. Yeah. You know, it, it, a different perspective and I'll try not to, I'll, I'll try not to be rough on him in saying that, you know, we had a historic win in the Ryder cup back in September. I don't, I don't think I'll rub that in his face or anything like that. I'll, no, I'll that, be good. that'd be rude. I'll be, yes, it would be rude. He might hang up on you or leave rather. It, Is he here? He's not here, no. He'll, he'll be calling. <laughs> okay. He's he's smart. He's in Florida where it's warm. Yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, are we in Siberia lately? It feels like it. Or New Jersey. Siberia, New Jersey. It's crazy. You know what was hot, though? I'll tell you one thing that was hot. Sunday, live bets, read the line, unbelievable. If you're not following along, folks, and, I, and I'm hitting everywhere, TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> And, uh, you know, my daughter was all fired up this week because now I'm on TikTok. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Are you doing like dances and stuff? Um, you know what? Just the dance of joy, my friend. Sunday, we went six and two. I had Hideki as the winner. So he's coming down the stretch. And I said, he starts hitting all these Hideki like master shots. And I was like, it's all good for me, brother. Kevin Kisner, top five. He finished the wow. day off just like the way the Georgia Bulldogs started that week with a national championship. Well, he's a Bulldog himself. And on Sunday... He played well, and uh, we went four and two in matchups, so it was great. So show me the money. If yeah, if you want to see the money, then you got to get and you got to get online, readtheline.com, subscribe, read, and win. That's what I say all the time. This morning I was up early doing the live bets for Friday. I put them on Instagram. We're having fun, folks. You you you, you will not only enjoy yourself with the entertaining content mm-hmm. like you do here on Friday afternoons, but at the end of the day, you're gonna win a little scatol. Sure. You know, yeah. which is um, which is important. And speaking of winning some money, the ladies of the LPGA are back. And uh, 
It's the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. So say that three times fast. I cannot. No, yeah. It's the HGV TOC. (laughs) That's what we call it here. I don't know if that's easier. Yeah, it's probably not. I'm surprised I got through that. (laughs) Gotta love live radio. Anyway, so the ladies are in Orlando, and they are at Lake Nona Golf and Country Club. And the tie-in here, the transition from Read the Line, was that I talked to their director of golf, who's a longtime friend of mine, Gregor Jameson. He's a famous club professional in those ranks, in the world that I used to call home for so long, for 25 years. And uh, Mr. J, as he's affectionately known as, his dad, you know, here's a side story. His dad, Bob Jamison, was the director of golf at Turnberry, which is a famous British Open rota course over there in Scotland. And he, he just, you know, Mr. J grew up in a family of golf and uh, he throws out the Scottish accent and he made some picks for us and it was a lot of fun. So he was our celebrity guest picker of the week. You know, I love that segment where we're having a good time with that, which is which is tons of fun. And he helped us handicap the field of the Hilton Grand Vacations okay. Tournament of Champions. And our leans were doing pretty good after round one. You know, one of the matchups I liked was Gabby Lopez and she was leading after round one at five under. Now, your usual suspects, you know, your Nellie Cordes of the world and your Danielle Kangs were one shot behind her. But young player, U.S. Open champion, reigning champion, Yuka Sasso, you know, she's 20 years old. I think she's going to have a big year this year. She was at four under. Your defending champ, Jessica Corda, three under. And uh, 29 ladies in the field. It's their version of the Tournament of Champions, much like the Century a couple weeks ago, folks. And they have 50 celebrities. So it's a kind of like a pro-am. That's cool. Where the ladies play with these celebrities. So they have more celebrities there. So they're call- the celebrities are probably calling up like, I want to play right. with the LPGA. These ladies are great. They're tons of fun. And so they have 50 celebrities and 29 players. Kind of cra- <laughs> cracks me up. When I was talking to Gregor the other day, he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got more celebrities than I have actual professional right. athletes. You know, well, I guess those, some of those other people are professional athletes, but professional women players. And speaking of professional women players, one of the celebrities this week and not in the player field is, is none other than Annika Sorenstam. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So um, guess what? A- after round one, she's leading the celebrity field uh, at a course where she lives. <laughs> she's right? the only celebrity that's allowed to lead. Yeah. I mean, if she doesn't win this thing by 10, you know, on the celebrity <laughs> side, um, Annika, we need to talk. Yeah. You know, I mean, give me a break. Yeah, but uh, the, it's a cool way to kind of start the year. Uh, you have someone that to be in the field, you have to have won in the last two years on the LPGA tour to get an invite. They pair them up with the celebrities. They're in Orlando. It's a fun place to be. More in Orlando in a second. But I got to shift over to another pro-am, which is out in Palm Springs. As I mentioned in the opening, the men are back on the mainland and they're playing in the American Express, which is another one of these shootouts. But the format is special in that they're going to play three different courses the first three days with a pro-am partner. So the pro Patrick Cantley plays with his amateur partner who he's paired up with. They play for three days. There's a a pro-am tournament going on, just Mm -hmm. like with the ladies, but then there's the 72-hole men's PGA Tour event at the same time going on. After Saturday, after they play all three courses, then from there they go, they make a cut, top 70 in ties like they normally do on a Friday, which we're used to, and... That's when the cut sweats come in. And then Sunday, they have, they'll have a shootout. And we're covering all of this, of course, at RTL. But sure. um, yesterday, your leaders, your first round leaders, were none other than Lee Hodges. No offense to Lee, but great 10 under round. Guy shot 62. But the other leader was Patrick Cantley, okay. who last year, in the last round of the same event, he shot 61. Mm. 
and yesterday he shot 62. <laughs> so he's literally 21 under in his last two rounds at this event. Um, he was one of the favorites coming in. John Rahm's in the field, number one player in the world, so he was the number one favorite, but Cantley was number two. I didn't like the odds there in order to play him, but at this point going forward, when it comes to matchups and such, I think that Patrick likes playing there. Right. Um, he is a California boy. So kudos to him. He's 10 under. He'll play later this afternoon, and uh, you know they're three hours behind here, folks. So you've got tied for third. Nice little story here. You have KH Lee. He's at eight under. But the the local story, Cam Young, Corn Ferry Tour player, young kid that grew up, uh, PGA professional David Young up at Sleepy Hollow, which is up in Westchester. His son uh, went through Wake Forest, great junior player, won on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. Now he's moved forward. He, he got his card. He's on the PGA Tour. He had a decent fall couple runs Sanderson guy makes birdies guy bombs it off the tee this is a perfect setting for him I like to lean towards him I lean towards him this morning in matchups he also shot 64 number one player in the world John Rahm he is tied for 13th at six under you know at the end of the day maybe you have a spouse maybe you don't maybe you're just out on tour maybe you're Cam Young you call your dad hey dad David you're PGA pro I had a good day today you know, I shot four and I know Cam shot eight, but let's say it's me and I'm calling Lori at home. Honey, I shot four under today in the first round. And she says, oh, that's fantastic. Four under par is a good score. Yeah, I'm tied 40th <laughs> in this event. I mean, how good are these guys? It's unbelievable. If there's 144 guys in the tournament, if you were even par, you were 110th. And you know, every week I always bring that up because it's not good enough. <laughs> people don't understand how good these people are at golf you shoot even par and you're 110th in the field it's amazing yeah i mean it's not so much that you're not even close to the cut line at 70 it's just that there's a hundred players that are playing better than you and they're going to continue to play better than you for the next couple days right. i mean unless you go on a, like a serious you're not bad but you're, you're yeah not. now speaking of bad and the dfl of the day uh phil is in the field you're reigning pga uh championship sure. I've heard of him. Uh, winner, Phil Mickelson, and uh, he uh, he's at the bottom of the barrel. He's, yeah, whatever last place is, that's where he was. He shot six really? over. He shot six over yesterday. He had a nine on his card. Um, yeah, not for two holes or even three for that matter. He he had a nine on one. Whoa. So, yeah, not great. Not great. It but happens. at the end of the day, the men are out there in Palm Springs couple more days. So the, the no cut today. They're going to be a cut tomorrow, folks. Pay attention. Read the line. Live betting. Unfortunately, they don't do a lot of the websites do not do live betting for the ladies yet. But we're mm. working towards that. We're talking to people. Cool. We're, you know, we're, we're trying to raise a stink about that and see what will happen. Should raise and, a stink. And those ladies are down there in Orlando, which, you know, I have to bring up this, too. I'm heading to Orlando next week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's the PGA Merchandise Show. Now, so we what are you saying? You want them to hang out and wait for you? Or are you going to meet them up with them? You're going to be there? You know, that would be nice. Nelly, Danielle, a <laughs> couple of them. My pick for the week, Patty Tavitanikit. Just trying to see where you're going with that. I only picked her because I like saying her name. No, honestly, <laughs> it's better than Anna Anna Rukarn, which, you know. That would have been great if you, just, if you didn't stutter when you said it. But yes, what's that first name? What's the one you like saying? <laughs> oh, Patty Tavitanikit. That's Yes. She was Rookie of the Year last year. I know. I, Won a major. I couldn't say it once, so you did good. Yeah. Yukasaso. <laughs> 
Nasa Hataoka. Yes, I've been I've been I've been practicing, my friend. I can tell. Yes, I could. Uh, yes, you don't I seem. Keep, I keep looking up whenever you when I see when I see the things that I know you're going to read. I just look up and smile and I wait for the wheels to teeter. But yeah, I'm rooting for you most of the time. Yeah, there's three pop screens over my over my <laughs> microphone, just just in case. Now, uh, Orlando, heading to Orlando on Monday. Going to do a little work for the PGA of America. So if you want to check me out there, PGA.com. We're going to be doing a ton of writing covering the return of the PGA Merchandise Show. We didn't have one last year. Two years ago, we did a bunch of work for them as well. And uh, we're going to tell some stories and meet up with some folks. And we have lined up for next week the CEO of the PGA of America, Seth Waugh, to talk to. So we're going to get a state of the nation from him and some other fun things that I'm working on, some lively it's always a work in progress, right? Yeah. You're always striving to, to get better guests and add to the show. And that's why it's so much fun to be here. Hey, you know who really adds to the show? That's our friends at the New Jersey Golf Foundation. The charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. Led by PGA professionals, programming for youth, military veterans, and individuals with special needs provides the opportunity to experience the game in a welcoming environment. To support the New Jersey Golf Foundation, or learn more about programs and special events, visit njgolffoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Let's get out of this segment right here. You know it's 315 here in New York, folks. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. We'll be back in a moment with Mr. Tony Jacklin. Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Zubin Mahente. All NFL players get paid a lot. You're not going to get paid more than me, though, because I'm the guy when it comes to clearing it out. Y'all take care of me. Spoken like a true wide receiver. Way to go, Roscoe Jenkins, team of me. His name is first on the show, so we get it. You know, we get it. Me, Sean, as they like to call me, for those that don't know me. But anyway. Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin. Weekday mornings at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio or streaming live on the ESPN app. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. With a focus on three core pillars, youth, military, and special needs, the NJGF delivers dynamic programming led by PGA professionals. So individuals from all backgrounds can experience the game of golf in a welcoming environment. An exciting new development is coming soon as the Inspiration Golf Range on the campus of the Lions VA Medical Center in Somerset County will serve as a new golf training facility for Special Olympics New Jersey, as well as the new home site for the PGA Hope, a rehabilitative golf program for veterans. To support the New Jersey Golf Foundation or learn more about programs and special events, please visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. That's NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or 732-465-1212. Time to get back on course as the pro show continues. Great show and great questions. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the pro show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and you're listening to ESPN. 920. This afternoon, we will get to know one of the Ryder Cup's most influential people. He started in England and ended up in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Join me as we welcome Tony Jacklin to the Pro Show, a man who accomplished so much in our great game. We have... A legendary golfing leader and player today with us on the Pro Show. 
Mr. Tony Jacklin, welcome. How are you on this Friday afternoon? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to be with you. Well, you have this exciting book that's out, Tony Jacklin, My Ryder Cup Journey. So I want to start there. We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but I want to start there. Describe the Ryder Cup in one word for me. Oh, one word. Well, uh, one word would be competitive. Uh, Simple as that. Well, you have played in a number of them. You've captained in some more, but I want to go back in time to put things in perspective for this conversation. What was your first experience at the Ryder Cup like back in 1957? I think you visited it. Could you take us back there? I mean, for me, as a 13-year-old in 57, was an opportunity to see uh, the greatest players in the world. I mean, um, historically, it it was... uh, it wasn't a competitive uh, match back then. You know, certainly, after they reconvened after the war in 1947, it had been very one-sided. America won all the all the matches. Obviously, Britain was struggling to get back on its feet one way or another. And of course, 57 turned out to be uh, a watershed year for Great Britain and Ireland. I mean, they somehow managed to pull it off and win uh, under Di Reese's uh, leadership. Di became a dear friend uh, uh, later on to me, but uh, it was certainly an inspiration at that point in time for me. It it made me decide on the spot, basically, that uh, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I wanted to play professional golf and try and emulate uh, some of these great players that I, uh, that I saw. So they win in 57 and they don't win again until you're the captain. Do you ever think about the symmetry there? Yeah. I mean, 28 years is a long while. Um, I remember Bernard Langer being 28 years old. Uh, and he was on that uh, winning team at the Belfry. At, and uh, he said to him, you know, 28 years was a, a pretty long time. Obviously, he's, he's well into his 60s now, but uh, it had been a long time for me too. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it is a hell of a, it was a, a long while uh, coming, that, that victory. I mentioned the book, and it's very interesting. And it touches upon a lot of your leadership skills. So I wonder, was there a person in your life, a parent, a relative, a a person you worked with that helped kind of foster these leadership skills that you had, not only as a player, but also as it turned out as a captain as well? Uh, Not really. I mean, my my dad was a, a working class guy, um, and he had a very simple philosophy. He used to say to me as a kid, and I can remember it still, you know, uh, Tony, they've all got two arms, two legs, and a head on the shoulders, just the same as you have. You know, have a great, they play golf, and uh, maybe that was oversimplifying it, but uh, I took that forward and made it my business to try and be as good as I could be. 
And and obviously I was learning on the way. I mean, I played under some good captains and I played under some terrible captains. I mean, guys who, you know, Reggie said, oh, hell, I would never, uh, if I ever got the opportunity to do this, that's about the last way I would approach it. So, you know, I, I learned as I went on, as, as I did in my uh, professional playing career, trying to trying to play alongside the best players that I could and uh, and beat them. Then let's let's let you be the mentor, okay? What sort of leadership advice would you pass along to the players and the golf leaders of today, based upon your experiences? Somebody once said to me many years ago, of all the senses, common sense is the least common. And I never forgot that. And I just tried to apply common sense to and stay in the moment and and observe, watch. Um, And you have to have the courage to um, make decisions on the spot sometimes. I mean, uh, not be afraid of, uh, of, of, you know, many times... uh, you look for other opinion and it muddies the water in my, in my view. So if you're going to lead, you're going to lead. Uh, and of course, this is not a job you could do when you're in your twenties. Uh, I was in my late thirties when I uh, was asked to be captain the first time. And um, it's, it's a position that needs and re- requires a lot of uh, experience, much as golf experience. Well, there's no doubt about that. And folks, we are in the moment this afternoon with Tony Jacklin, two-time major winner. Uh, let's see, 11-time Ryder Cup participant, either as player or captain. So that's the famous voice you hear along with me this afternoon on the air. I want to talk about making decisions. You have made some legendary decisions in your time as captain. And I think about the pairings. You know, you put Seve and Ollie together. You put Woozy and Faldo together. I mean, these were not necessarily the most obvious things to do. So you talk about being a leader. You talk about making decisions. What is your decision-making process like? Well, um, as much as anything, it's it's uh, obs- observation. I mean, I... You know, we get obviously time, the players get time to practice, you get time to uh, work out your, your feelings, uh, you know, this this might work, that might work. In Seve and Ollie's case, of course, it was uh, <coughs> uh, the, the maestro with the pretender, if you like. You know, they were both Spanish <coughs> and uh, they, they could converse in their own language and uh, they fed off each other. I mean, Ollie was never really, didn't ever feel that he was in the shadow of Seve. He was, he was up for, for everything that was going. And of course, Seve was, uh, was as good as it gets. I mean, he was arguably the best player in the world for, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we hit that rich period there in the, in the eighties. Can you share with my listeners a quick Seve story? How good 
was Seve back in those days? Well, he was it. He was just it. He he had tremendous self-confidence and, and courage. And, you know, he was as good a match player as there was on the planet at that time. And he was totally fearless. I mean, he was... Uh, he got like everybody else. He, he was oh, not not so much everybody, but he got very emotional, especially near the end of rounds. If he was doing good, you know, he'd start spraying the ball around. He wasn't up for following. Didn't have a sort of tempo as his central thought. He, he, he expected to hit errant shots, but one thing that stayed with him all the time was his ability to get the ball up and in. I mean, he would get it up and in from anywhere. And uh, he was a, a wonderful, wonderful putter, holer out, great chipper. He didn't have a weakness around the greens. And so he was never done. You know, you could never count him out. I'll never forget long after his, his best years, but when he played Tom Lehman in the Ryder Cup on one year, and I can't remember, it was in the 90s, but Lehman never missed a fairway. He certainly missed every fairway. And uh, after 11 holes, they were still all square. And uh, ultimately, Lehman won. But, um, uh, you know, that was Sebi. He was uh, he was a magician. I grew up in the 80s, and I can remember those days very fondly. It was the artistry of the game that really got into my soul and and made me so interested in it. The creativity that the players had. Do you feel like in modern day, we're losing some of that creativity? No question about it. It's gone clear out the window. I mean, uh, you, 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 you're not required to do that sort of thing anymore. I mean, they're, they're hitting wedges into 11, 12 holes or around. I mean, and governing bodies seem to think it's all all right. So, uh, but uh, the game has certainly lost a lot of its attraction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is, uh, this is just uh, smash and grab. Uh, it's, it's horrible to what, uh, what I grew up with and, and especially what those, you know, players in the fifties and going back to, to Hickory and great Bobby Jones era, and, and, uh, and Sarazen, who I, I I knew well and met, uh, and, and so many of those, the Sneeds, uh, who was again a good friend. Um, the, the game's lost so much. It's it's sad to me, but uh, nobody seems to. Uh, Jack still screams a little bit, but it's all on deaf ears. I'm afraid nobody's listening. Um, these modern lads. Uh, you know, they've got more money they can ever spend as well. I mean, so money talks and in, in the, they're playing for hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it's it's uh, another world. So, uh, sadly, those skills that uh, a lot of those skills that Savvy had are not required anymore. You know, as a lifelong PGA professional, it's one of those things that the amateur game, we still need those skills and that creativity. So it's not yeah. complete. It's not completely lost. And what's not completely lost on me is that I have to take a quick radio break. Can you hold tight for just a second? No worries. Up next more with Europe's most successful Ryder Cup captain, Tony Jacklin. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. 
Greenberg is Greeny. Chris Paul is one of those guys whose numbers, if you look at them, are so good that they almost seem made up. But, you know, he was never on the best team all those years in New Orleans, wasn't able to go to the Lakers, winds up on the Clippers, then they fell short. But now here he is, the veteran presence on this otherwise very young Phoenix team. It would mean everything to his legacy. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and watch exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. You got a great voice for radio. Time to get back on course. Face for radio. I, I, I get a lot of that too. As the pro show continues, once again, Keith Stewart. It's the pro show and I'm Keith Stewart. Welcome back to our conversation with Tony Jacklin. You know you're listening to New Jersey's ESPN 920. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic... All right, Mr. Jacklin. So I played a little Frank there for you because much like him, I believe you had tons of style. Now, I have a little surprise for you or a special treat. I'm going to play this for you and see how you react to it. Now, do you recognize that singer? Well, I I, uh, I did a LP back in 1970 called Tony Jackson Swings. And of course, Frank was one of my favorite uh, entertainers anyway. I got to meet him and uh, we, we stuck Come Fly With Me in there and it... Uh, uh, it turned out pretty good. Uh, we won't talk about the rest of it, but uh, "Come Fly with Me" was uh, was one that I was able to uh, pull off pretty well. Yes, that was you, and I really enjoyed finding that as I was doing some research. You played in seven Ryder Cups, one tied and six lost, but you gained all of that experience that we talked about before. I'm wondering. What led to the changes that you made to construct a winning team? Well, I just thought the approach from uh, the, well, the British-Irish, I mean, six of my matches were under British-Irish flag. The, the one, the last one in 79 was the first European team. But essentially... <clears throat> You know, Britain dominated the, the, the thought process behind what was going on. And the approach was was terrible. I mean, we were we were one down before we ever, or at least one down before we ever hit a ball. I mean, just on the the way we were turned out, you know. I mean, we would uh, we were traveling in back of the bus, British Airways when America was flying Concorde. Uh, we would wear anything anybody would give us, as Americans were at the best uh, of, 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 of everything. And the self-esteem, you know, if you're a professional, uh, you get on that first tee and you feel it. You feel that, uh, you know. And I took care of, uh, of that end of things. I, I felt it very strongly that... Uh, it was a, I don't know, I don't know what else to call it, but a very sort of British approach, a sort of British 50s approach, if you like, where they, oh, well, we must show up and do our best and, uh, you know, uh, hail fellow, well met, all that sort of stuff. And all I wanted to do is win the bloody Ryder Cup. I mean, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, once I took care of the, 
those issues, and we we travelled Concord like the Americans did. We we had Savile Row make the the suits, and uh, and we got a team room for the first time, you know, under my captaincy, which was so important. I mean, back in the sixties, we we would hear about who we were playing with in the locker room in late afternoon, and and then we would be free to go off into the town wherever we were with our wives or partners and have dinner, not as a team, but as individuals. And there was no opportunity to gel as a, as a team. And so that team room, uh, I made sure that we had food and beverage and televisions and everything anybody would ever want in there. And, and of course, they, it, it turned out to be a real, uh, real winner. You know, we came, we came within a, a, a Absolute well, one one point of winning in in uh, Palm Beach Gardens in '83, um, and I had no captain's picks. They didn't pick me to be captain or ask me to be captain until six months before because they couldn't make up their minds on on. Uh, they'd always the captain had always been a generation or more beyond the age of the players. It was almost like a, a sort of uh, a tribute to a career well played, uh, you know, to become a captain. And um, I'm told, and I wasn't involved with the process, but Bernard Langer was on the, that committee, and he and he was pushing for for me because I was closer closer to the players, and and of course my experiences on the American tour. Uh, you know, I sort of pioneered the European uh, end of things on the on the uh, U.S. tour. I was the first European winner when I won at Jacksonville in '68, and uh, it was uh, it, 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 once I took care of that self-esteem, it was it was like the players repaid in kind, if if that makes any sense. I, I I obviously uh, wrapped them in cotton wool and did everything I, I could to to help them play their best. But beyond that, it was them. You know, if if you know if I was prepared to do that for them, they were they were prepared to do any dang thing they could to get this job done. Uh, and Sevy especially, um, you know, he never thought that America was better. He, he thought like like I thought when I came over here and played in the in the late sixties. If uh, I wasn't frightened of anybody, I knew I was going to have to to beat the Palmers and Nicholases if I was going to get to where I I envisioned I wanted to be. And and so much of uh, what we want in life is is about that. It's about. Uh, living your dream and uh, and you know going after it. Well, that's where I want to go next with our conversation. And folks, we have a real treat this afternoon. We have Tony Jacklin with us this afternoon on the pro show here, ESPN 920. That's that distinct voice that you're listening to. And I heard an interview with you. It was a video interview a couple of years ago, and you talked about a Hollywood mentality. How did you notice that? And how did you foster that in your teams to give them that self-confidence? Well, I, you know, I thought that, you know, uh, one of the things uh, when you mentioned Hollywood, you know, America had that going for it uh, 
the, the whole time, you know, I mean, as opposed to the European. And I mean, they milked, you know, the fact that, you know, the great actors, whether it's Clark Gable, John Wayne, Cary Grant, you know, they were, they were all American icons. And uh, it, it, in some respects, it, it you know, put fear, puts fear into people that are a little bit not sure you know, oh my God! You know what we're doing here. This is, this is heady company kind of thing. Um, but it, it's a mentality, you know. Once, once, once Europe and and with an on-course leader, especially like a Sevi, as an as a as an example, this this confidence uh, uh, filters down. You know how you know. We're not frightened. Hang on a minute. You know, you you you're only a man like I am. You know, who who's, who who says you're supposed to be better than me? It's all about de- determination and self belief, and, um, and and as I say, the courage to get it done. And there's you know when we 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 won in in eighty five and then eighty seven, which was unbelievable. But 89 was a wonderful example of, of that for the, when, we, when we managed to scrape in with a tie because all the great players, Seve, Faldo, Woosner, they all lost on the final day. And it was the Ronan Rafferty's and Christy O'Connor Jr.'s, the, the sort of journeyman pros that, that, that pulled the thing through. So, you know, that, that, that whole confidence thing had, had proven itself obviously at that point in time it was it, i'd done it four times and it's time for me to move on uh you know i, I really wasn't sure i i should have done 89 because i i had everything to lose and nothing to gain really having one at, at home in a way but um but that was you know a wonderful example of uh, of the journeyman pulling pulling through and Subsequent to that, you know, the, the, the players I've heard say that this Ryder Cup experience, the passion that they feel in playing in a Ryder Cup with the with, uh, team. Uh, I mean, when I set out to play golf, it, historically, it was a solitary uh, pursuit. You, you didn't think about a team. Uh, you know, it was all about me, 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 me. But it, it's proven uh, both in Ryder Cup, President's Cup, and uh, Solheim Cup for the girls that uh, players love team and the public loves it too. So uh, it's uh, it's been a wonderful ride to see uh, all these these uh, team events succeed at the level that they have. It's it's unbelievable, actually. Well, Tony Jacklin, one of the themes of your book was this undercurrent of self-belief that you had. You used it to win and your determination to win two major championships. In 1969, you won the Open at Royal Litham in St. Anne's. And in 1970, you won the U.S. Open at Hazeltine. Both of those events, you sat on a 54-hole lead, right? You had the pressure of the moment and you pulled it off. So there's a lot of golfers and players that listen to this show. How are you able 
to handle that pressure? Well, uh, certainly with the, uh, I mean, uh, I, there were two, two factors. Uh, when I won at Jacksonville in 1968 on the American tour, for, for I was the first European to win on the, I, was, I played with Arnold uh, Palmer and Don January the last day. And anybody would tell you during that period, playing with Arnold Palmer was like playing with Jesus Christ because, you know, you were crazy if you thought that they thought anything about you. It was all about Arnold. And to get that done um, in, in 68 on that final day playing alongside Arnold was a big confidence booster for me. And I'm sure it was influential on me being able to take the pressure to at Lytham in 1969 and, and, and win the Open. And I was young and I was resilient and I was cocky and confident and all that. Uh, Hazel team was the best week of golf I ever had. We, we had storms early and wind blew. I was very comfortable in that environment. Uh, but to build a four-shot lead, I can only tell you, I was more nervous going out in that final round than I've ever been in my life. And I'm not a particularly religious man, but I prayed very hard that day, not to win, just to have the stamina to get through the day and do what I was trying to do, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other, doing the same things as I kept doing and just uh, stay the course, if you like, because I was frightened. And, uh, you know, thankfully... Um, I was able to, to pull it off. I didn't didn't panic. There were a couple of little spots in there that I might have uh, gone south. <laughs> but I, I hold a, a big putt on the nine screen that maybe shouldn't have gone in that did. And I, the pressure rolled away, and, and I quite enjoyed the last nine. And uh, But that victory. But it, it, it looks, you know, seven shots and increasing your lead every day. It looks like you... It was a sort of complete blowout, but it, it, it was anything but that. You know, I was feeling the, the whole way through, but um, you've got to take it quietly. You can't talk about it. You can't talk about it to your wife or your caddy. You've just got to eat it. It's, uh, and you need to be tough uh, and resilient to, to get unyoung, I think, to, to get through that. I think, you know, age is the enemy. Uh, with all sports at the end of the day. But uh, anyway, it's a brief insight of, as to what I went through doing, uh, winning those majors. Well, Tony, I, I would have loved to hear the words of that prayer because you had a four-shot lead and you, you mentioned it there. You won by seven. So that was a pretty good prayer. Somebody was listening. Let's get back to the book one more time. I really enjoyed it, but it's your life. When you look at the book, all of it together, what makes you most proud? Oh, uh, I've been lucky. Just, you know, I suppose choosing golf as a profession, it's the greatest game. Uh, I don't think it's as great a game as it was because of we touched on earlier, you know, the, the smash and grab uh, that it's become. But it's nevertheless a great character builder, and uh, I'm, I'm so thankful my father introduced me into the game. Uh, you know, it was accidental that he got involved. Uh, so much of what happens in life is 
luck and being in the right place at the right time. So I'm just grateful that uh, I got introduced to it. I, I didn't have much of an education. I left school when I was 15 and, and I traveled the world uh, many times, obviously, and that was my university. That was my opportunity to learn playing alongside uh, CEOs and presidents of corporations, royalty and, and, and so I've been incredibly fortunate that I got exposed to golf as a young man, and I'm grateful for that. Mr. Jacklin, I am truly grateful that your dad introduced you to the game as well. Thank you so much for all the gifts that you have given us. Myself as a PGA professional, on behalf of everyone, you've just been the best today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. What a nice guy. Right? I mean, it, you could tell why he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> no doubt. You know, more than one Hall of Fame. I mean, the one for life and for playing. We could have went on all day. <laughs> you know, but we can't because we're fast approaching 4 p.m. So thanks for listening, everybody. ESPN 920 will be back with, of course, the weekly update. The Max Kellerman Show. Show. You know, there was no one there like, hey, where's that guy we just hired? He just stopped showing up suddenly 15 years ago. So got to wait. It's 650 G's. And now he's being sued. I don't know. I, you can't just not show up for work. But, but if he's not, like, doing anything fraudulent and they're just sending him the checks, I mean, why wouldn't he just deposit it in his account? The Max Kellerman Show, weekdays at 2 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Watch exclusively on ESPN+. Join the thousands of golfers who already call Stick and Hack their home for the best golf stories, original podcasts, special events, member perks, and an active community of golfers across North America. Up until now, the golf media landscape lived somewhere between straight PGA coverage or idiots wrecking golf carts. We take a different approach by celebrating all sides of golf, life, and all the ways this amazing game connects Sticks and Hacks every day. Your free membership entitles you to discounts from major brands all over the country while connecting you with like-minded golfers for discussion, tips, or even a round of golf. So head to stickandhack.com and enjoy the world's greatest golf club without the course. Get ready for the back nine. As the pro show continues, once again, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the pro show on ESPN 920. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. Hey, here's what I have to say. You want to listen to us anywhere? Go to 920ESPNNewJersey.com and hit that Listen Now button. You want to hear this show? Well, I'll post it tonight. Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, iTunes, all the platforms. Check it out. Subscribe and send it to a friend. Speaking of subscribing, readtheline.com. Subscribe, read, and win. That's what we do there. And what we do on the weekends is on social media, Instagram, at, at readtheline underscore. We do all sorts of live betting. You got to check us out there to keep up with the weekend's wagers. That's for sure. Now, it's always inspiring to talk to people with such amazing life experiences like a Tony Jacklin. What they have seen, what they have done. His advice? Use common sense. After that interview, if I'm on a team that's got a captain, I'd like to ride with this one. It 
It's just so cool, the people we get to talk to, Wade. Absolutely. You know? I mean, what that, what that guy has seen in his life. So I was going through a lot of his history, his personal history in the book. Okay. Guys that he's played tons of golf with. Sinatra, right? Wow. Sean Connery. Wow. Yes. <laughs> the real Sean Connery the or real. the uh, the Jeopardy one on SNL? Oh, not you, Trebek. Like last week with your mom, Trebek. <laughs> I mean, easy. Easy. Come well, on. This is for the kids. This is for the kids. I know you're excited. You're excited. The weekly update's coming and you, you have all Get you have whatever plan planned, I know, that I'll have to try to keep up with. But you know who else is tough to keep up with? No. That's our friends at TaylorMade. You know, over the past 40 years, golfers have inspired TaylorMade to make a lot of great drivers. But as we know, all eventually reached their limit. TaylorMade has been hard at work making the next generation of drivers. Because where titanium ends, carbon begins. 20 years in the making, the carbon wood age is here. Head on over to TaylorMade.com to learn more about how the all-new Stealth Driver's 60-layer carbon face will give you better energy transfer for more ball speed. Now, I've been talking to my buddies in Florida. This thing's the real deal. Oh, yeah? So, folks, get yourself over to TaylorMadeGolf.com. Now, let's all play nice and quicker. So, our friend Chantel McCabe, last week on Twitter during the Sony Open, she tweeted out, Kevin Na walking in putts does not get old. (laughs) So, he's got this thing everybody knows. Kevin Na, when he hits a close putt and he thinks it's going in, he kind of rushes over and walks it in. And, you know, he he had, you know, the first round lead. He shot like a million under there. So, she, she tweets this out, right? Well, very quickly, Grayson Murray, who is a... PGA Tour Pro uh, strikes back to Miss McCabe and he tweets he, he <laughs> tweets that's good he tweets himself Kevin Na making three minutes to putt them does get old oh okay <laughs> take that all right well I guess Kevin Na was out to dinner because at about 8 p.m. he reared back and then he tweeted this you missing the cut is getting old <laughs> not much I can shut say up. after that yeah shut up shut up shut up yeah he he Grayson Murray sorry I think. I think I looked it up last week. Kevin Na's like career earnings is like thirty-five million. <laughs> it's not. It's not yeah. bad. Why? Why? Why go down that road? <laughs> no. Anyway, well, two trips in one, first and last for Grayson Murray there to go out that one. All right, caddy experience is overrated. Just because it hasn't been done doesn't make it impossible," said Akshay Bayada. Like that. All right. Yeah, he's inspiring. He's now a Corn Ferry Tour winner at nineteen. Beata, who turned pro when he was 17 and received backlash for the decision. Now, just two years later, he's in position to earn a PGA Tour card sooner rather than later. And to put a cherry on top, this was the young man's first appearance on the Corn Ferry Tour as a full member. The Bahamas Great Exuma Classic at Sandals in Emerald Bay served as the, I mean, that beat out the the Hilton Grand Vacations (laughs) Tournament of Champions. Holy moly. The B-G-E-C-S-E-B. The Bee Gees. Unbelievable. Well, his final day, 7 under 65, was the best round of the week by three shots for him, and his closing birdie helped him win the tournament. With this win, he quickly silenced the doubters who believed he made a mistake turning pro too early. Now, you're going to love this one. Here's the kicker. He met his caddy on Instagram. Aw. All right? He DM'd her last year. You know how the kids say he slipped into her DMs right there? He slid, okay. yeah. Yeah, he slid right in there, right? So she has no caddy experience, no golf experience. And this kid <laughs> at 19 years old just won a Corn Ferry Tour event. Um, I think this guy might be better than we give him credit for. And the best part about this guy is this is the guy I brought up that looks just like the lead singer from 
uh, Digital Underground. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. It's the best. It's the best. I love this guy. Oh, <laughs> she was never done for her life. Uh, I mean, you got to keep that hot key going, man, because Akshay Bayada is, by all means, he is doing the Humpty Dance on the Corn Ferry Tour this year, all year long. All right. Down under, down under. Brentley Romine at the Golf Channel reports, a week after scoring records were smashed at the PGA Tour's Century Tournament of Champions, one of Australia's biggest championships was also won in record-breaking fashion. Jediah Morgan, a 22-year-old Aussie who was making just his fourth start as a professional, won the Australian PGA Championship by 11 shots this past Sunday, wrapping up the 72-hole event at Royal Queensland Golf Club at 22 under. Morgan entered the final day with a nine-shot advantage <laughs> and wishing to reach, I guess, the finish line at that point. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, he, he tried to reach 25 under, but he fell a couple shots short but his 11 shot winning margin was a record the 22 under was a record uh you know and here's his quote afterwards wait he says i i wanted to just make the cut this week <laughs> nervous you can tell the nerves got to him yeah. despite the dominating victory morgan admits he was still nervous i've never had that type of emotion i felt pressure for sure but i've never felt pressure like the way i felt this week it was something i want to do it again he, he won by 11. He won by 11. 11. Wait. All right. Imagine how nervous he would be if he had won by one. That's right. All right. Choose. But choose wisely. The announcement of the next Ryder Cup captain is always an event to look forward to. But according to the Telegraph, the selection panel has delayed naming the 2023 chief of the European side until the end of February. Now, okay. there's a couple guys. Graham McDowell, they might be holding out until 2027 because that one's in Ireland at Adair Manor. Lee Westwood still thinks he can play. So does Ian Poulter, Sergio, of course. But Luke Donald, Robert Carlson, and Henrik Stenson have 11 Ryder Cups between them. And any of those three would certainly be an asset to manage the team and captain them at Marco Simone Golf and Country Club over in Italy mm -hmm. in a couple years. Now, the stipulation with Stenson is that he's playing next month in the Saudi in Invitational, okay. which is the Greg Norman event. Right, sure. Okay. Now, according to James Corrigan's Telegraph report, Stenson's hopes of captaining the European Ryder Cup team in 2023 rest on whether or not the Swede opts to accept a potential Saudi Super Golf League offer, which is believed to be in the $30 million ooh, range. Ooh, okay. okay. So... Here it is. Here's your choice there, Wade Weezer. Ryder Cup Legacy or 30 plus million. Hmm. <laughs> I, I know where you're leaning. Not for hmm. nothing, though, by the way. Henrik Stenson's career earnings are about 32 million. Can't you have both? Um, it doesn't seem so if you are playing with the European or the DP World Tour. Dang. Sorry. All right. Winners wear red. On Sunday, the San Francisco 49ers defeated the Dallas Cowboys 23-17 to, to advance to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. That's Niners, not a clap for the 49ers, by the way. <laughs> Niners star Debo Samuel contributed to the win with 110 all-purpose yards and a rushing touchdown. However, the secret to his success may have come from the shirt he was wearing underneath his uniform. Cameras captured this, all right? Samuel was spotted wearing a TW Tiger Woods brand red t-shirt during the game. Woods famously has worn his Sunday red in all of his record-tying 82 career victories, and it looks to be the mock shirt that Tiger wore when winning his 15th major at the 2019 Masters. Perhaps Samuel thought that Sunday Red could get the 49ers the victory as well. Good eyes on the camera there, you know. And I tell you, <laughs> Wade, if you're looking to win on Sundays, 
Tiger's a pretty good role model to follow. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Can I get your autograph? Rex Hoggard of the Golf Channel reports, out in La Quinta, California, one of the ongoing issues faced by PGA Tour officials since the circuit restarted its schedule in the summer of 2020 Mm -hmm. was how to handle autographs which were originally banned upon the resumption of play. The policy has been adjusted for this season with the tour creating designated areas for players to sign autographs with a primary focus on young fans. Take note of that there, I'm taking Mr. Notes. Weezer, okay? According to the memo sent to the players late last year, the new policy prohibits on-course autographs and individual tournaments are being encouraged to create dedicated autograph areas, you know, for the kids. But it also prohibits paraphernalia from being brought into tournament venues, which had been an issue before the COVID-19 pandemic prompted the tour to re-examine its autograph policy. Because of that, you can't bring any paraphernalia with no, you? No paraphernalia None. there, Mr. Wade Weezer. All right. All right. If we had only met in college. <laughs> Unbelievable. We might not be here right now if we did. Well, you know what? Hey, at the end of the day, this is a great example of taking a popular issue and solving through fan and player safety. So, good play, PGA. Now, don't break your word. Paging Pat Perez, Siwoo Kim is wondering when you might pay up. The young South Korean and defending Amex Express champion from this week is one of the tour's most excitable talents. Substitute the word excitable for a <laughs> volcano. All right. Perez is indebted to him after Kim managed to keep it cool for the last eight months. Kim earned his tour card, a little background on him, mm-hmm. when he was just a teenager and is the youngest to ever win the players at age 21. But for all his incredible accomplishments, Kim can go wrong as well. Last year, he shot the highest recorded score on a par three in tour history. He hit five balls in the water on TPC Southwind's 11th hole and signed for a 13. The next week, he was in a playoff at the Wyndham Championship. His win... At the 2021 American Express came just a year after he shot a first round 87 in the same event and withdrew with a bad back. Since the start of the 2016 and 2017 season, Kim has 37 rounds on tour of five over or worse. Mm. He also has 49 rounds of 66 or better in the same time frame. Kim has snapped more clubs than he cares to remember or count. Snapping sticks had become almost routine for Kim, and Perez wagered a hundred grand that Kim couldn't stop doing it. Well, he has, which begs the question: When does Perez have to pay up? When does the bet end? Right now, Kim's caddy figured that the end date should be, you know, when we turn the calendar. But the two players didn't make it clear, so Perez is technically still alive in the wager, right? But that hasn't stopped Kim from reminding the veteran Perez. Always with a big smile that, you know, hey, buddy, where's my 100K, right? So Kim says his days of snapping clubs are behind him and he's trying to mellow out. Now, it's a President's Cup year. Kim's been playing well. Pressure is mounting, right? So if I was Pat Perez, I'd just let this thing ride out as long as you could. Because at the end of the day, (laughs) if you're a club breaker, you're a club breaker. (laughs) And that's your Pro Show update for the week ending January 21st, 2022. Special thanks to our sponsors today from the Pro Show, Taylor May Golf and the New Jersey Golf Foundation. As I mentioned, next week I'll be down in Orlando at the PGA Show. We're going to talk to some fabulous, fun, and fantastic people on Friday afternoon. And, of course, you know who else is a fantastic person every Friday afternoon? That's my man on the board, Mr. Wade Weezer. Now, of course, for my listeners, before I go, I'm going to leave you all with one brief thought about assembling an audience. The biggest success stories are a paradox of scale. They are most often designed for a very specific group of people. Be specific when building your fan base. 
I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and this is The Pro Show. Thanks for joining us for today's show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart returns to the team next Friday at 3 on ESPN 920.